Romans chapter 15. We'll be in verses 8 through 13. Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for your word that just communicates to us who you are and who we are. Lord, today we need you to speak to our hearts again, Lord, that you would, through your word, cause us to abound in hope. Lord, I ask for your fresh filling, that I might be led by your spirit, and that uh, during this time, your name would be exalted. Lord, prepare our hearts even now to receive your word, that it would bear fruit for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We got another preacher here, huh? <laughs> My little buddy, Seth. <laughs> well, this week I was thinking about hope. Hope is an amazing thing. Have you ever thought about hope? It is absolutely amazing because, because of what happens, what, what is accomplished with hope. Um, if you have hope, then you're encouraged. You can endure through hard things. You know, it's, it's different than Advil in the sense that Advil is something practical that you take that relieves the pain, that helps you continue to maintain life, whatever that might be. But hope does the same thing. Hope causes us to endure difficult things, hard things. It continues to cause us to persevere. And it's amazing the things that hope can empower us to get through. On the uh, opposite side of it, without hope. When hope is gone, it's easy to get depressed. It's easy to just give up. What's the sense? There's no reason for this. There's no hope. And so you see this, this thing called hope, that when it's there, we in, we're able to get through incredibly hard things. And when it's gone, even the simplest thing can become a burden to try to, to get through. And sometimes, many times, hope is what I call short-sighted or temporal. We have hope for a, a, a condensed window of time. Something happens where you're physically hurt. And your hope is that I'm going to get better. Or things are going difficult in a relationship or a marriage. And what happens is you have this window, this idea that, well, it's going to be okay. And this window is small. But we have what I call a fast food mentality. It happened way back when McDonald's first hit. And our expectation was that we could pull up and get a burger in like one minute, right? And before that, you had to sit down, you had to wait. They had to, you know, some places kill the cow, it seemed like. And then they would make the burger, and then you'd finally get it after like seven minutes or ten minutes. And then McDonald's hit, and everything happened quick. 
And so it seemed like even in our prayer life, even in our life of hope, everything shortened up. So then now, when difficult things happen, we have hope for this short-sighted temporal season. Whatever that might be. It could be for a week. It could be for six months. It could be for a year. But our hope seems to be so condensed. And then we get to a place where we say, it'll never change. It's never going to change. And hope slips away, and we struggle with depression. Because our hope is now. Our hope is focused on whatever situation we're in will get better. And when it doesn't, hope is gone because it's so short-sighted. And then there's what I call far-sighted hope. It's eternal hope. It's a hope that we see over and over again in the Word of God. We see it in Romans, we see it in Hebrews, we see it all over, where the hope is not placed here. It's not placed in the situation or the circumstances we're in changing. But the hope is a long-term hope. It's a hope for what happens beyond this life. It's a hope in who God is and His promises, not about us and our personal comfort or circumstances changing. It's a type of a hope that produces joy and peace even when there is no change. I have a friend of mine, you know him, Brandon Wilkins. He's a gentleman. He comes to the second service usually in the wheelchair. A lot of you might not know this, but Brandon used to be, uh, uh, he was their number one soccer player for Cooley Region Christian School. And then he has this disease from birth that has slowly took away all his physical abilities and it slowly takes away his uh, ability to communicate. Brandon is in a level of pain every day that... Uh, when he goes to the doctors and the doctors ask him how much pain he's in, Sarah, his wife, told me whatever number he gives them, the doctors add five to it because that's what a normal person would be feeling. And Brandon's like that all the time for years. And it's been a slow descent into this. I talked to him this week because he's my buddy and we were laughing about life. And um, he said, you know, I said, Dan, um, I'm not happy I'm in this wheelchair. I'm not happy that I'm in pain. I'm not happy about any of this, but I'm joyful. I mean, he's serious. I, mean, I know he's serious. He's, he, this is nothing new. He said, but I'm joyful because, you see, I know what's coming. And so through every day, when I get up, everything's going to be the same. It's not going to change. It's never going to change until I'm with Jesus. And then I'm going to get a new body, and all this pain will be gone. Everything is done. And he goes, so I rejoice in today. That's the type of hope that we're talking about. A hope not here. A hope not in things changing, but a hope in an unchangeable God who made promises that will never fail, not because of what we do, but because of who He is. That's the hope we're talking about. And that kind of hope is the hope that the Word of God is talking about. And that's why Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of glory, He is the source of hope. He is the giver of hope. He is the object of all Christians' hope. He is the object. Jesus 
He's the God of hope. He is our hope. When you think about Romans, as I was, again, you know, I, I have such a privilege to be able to be in God's word throughout the week. And as things drift and change, you know, I thought this message was going one direction and God moved it in another one. And I went, okay, God, it's your show. It's not mine. And uh, I realized, do you know Romans really starts out without hope? When you look back at Romans, how does it start out? It says, first of all, men exchanged the truth of God. They stopped worshiping the creator and worshiped the creation. And then it goes on and it says, you know, everyone has sinned. All, every single person has fallen short. There's no hope for anyone on their own. That's how Romans starts out. It starts out painting this picture that you are absolutely without hope. There's no hope for you. Everybody has sinned. All people fall short of the glory of God. We'll be separated from God for all eternity if that's where the story ended. But then Paul continues and he goes on through Romans and he says, but now, but then God. Don't you love that? But then God. And then it starts talking about the gospel. Talks about how this is where we were, but then God. God had it planned from eternity past and Christ came, God in the flesh, comes fully God, fully man. And he lives this perfect, sinless life that we were required to live in order to spend eternity with God, which every one of us in this room, including the guy up front, have failed miserably at even today. So Jesus did it for us. He lived that perfect, sinless life. Then he goes to the cross, and he is brutally punished. The wrath of the Father is poured out on Christ for sins that were not his own. Our sins were imputed to him. In other words, it was as if he had committed them. He didn't, but as if he did, he was punished. And he dies on the cross, and all people who would receive that gift of salvation, then what happened was God would impute Christ's righteousness. In other words, God would consider it as if we lived that perfect life without sin in thought, word, or deed that Jesus did, and now the Father could say, come on into eternity with me. The requirement was met. You see, it's not about us being good. It's not about our good outweighing our bad. It's never been that in the Word of God. It's always been about what Christ has done for us. What He has done. And we receive that gift of salvation by saying, God, I am guilty as charged. There is no hope. I am without hope. I'm without hope in my own strength. But then Jesus came, died, did what I couldn't do. So I ask you to forgive me, Father, and be the leader of my life, the forgiver of my sins. And we're saved at that moment. The gospel of hope. So Paul starts without hope. And then he moves into the gospel that you are saved, you are made right with God by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And then he hits chapter 13 and he spends about two chapters working on, okay, because that's all true, how should that affect you here on this planet? How should that affect the way you live? And then we come to the end, basically, of the... um, Main argument in Romans. It's Romans chapter 15, verse 13, the verse we read. So what we see here is that Romans starts out, the main message starts out with, you are without hope. 
And then it moves on to give you a foundation for future hope. And then Romans concludes, basically, because this is considered the benediction, with now you can abound in hope. That's what it's saying. That's just what God's word is saying here. It's laying it out for us. And then he kind of, in the verses from about 9 through 12, what he does is he kind of reiterates, condenses so much of what was spoken of earlier in Romans in those chapters 2 through 11. He kind of condenses it down to just a few words to try to say, okay, now, because of all this stuff that I've said, let me summarize. And the first thing he does is he says, listen, I want you to remember that God made promises to the patriarchs, to the fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God made promises to them. And if you look earlier in Romans, you'll see this laid out more, uh, I guess, more thoroughly. This is a summary. Take a look at, here's some of the promises that God had made to the patriarchs. So Paul is speaking to Jewish people, and he's saying, you know what? God made promises to your forefathers. Here are some of those promises. Genesis 12, 2 through 3. I will make you, of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And ye, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was to Abraham. Then in Genesis 22, 17 through 18, again to Abraham. And surely, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. He's talking about Jesus. Then he's talking here to Isaac in Genesis 26. I will establish an oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So Isaac settled in Gerar. And in Romans 4, verse 11 and 16, he received a sign. This is talking about Abraham. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. See, not works, by faith. While he was still uncircumcised. Abraham wasn't circumcised yet. The purpose was to make him the father of all who would believe without being circumcised. Gentiles. The circumcised always talks about Jewish people. And uncircumcised would be Gentiles like us. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Verse 16, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So God made promises to Israel. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation that all the other nations will be blessed through. And he did that. He followed through with that, not because of Israel's faithfulness. Israel rebelled against God so many times. So God did not fulfill his promises because Israel was faithful, because they did what he asked them to do, but because of his grace. It's about grace. It always comes back to grace. Grace is when you get something you don't deserve. I've used this example so many times you can probably quote it, but I never know if there's somebody new visiting. It's kind of like you're standing outside talking in the parking lot. All of a sudden, some guy in a big caddy pulls up, and he says, come on over here. You walk over there, and he hands you a million dollars in cash and drives away. 
We don't know him. You didn't earn it. It was just, what? That's kind of what grace looks like. And he said, that's what salvation, it's about God. Somebody who would grant us this grace and give us a salvation that is so great and priceless at his own cost. So what he was doing was, he was saying this in these verses. Saying, listen, Jesus is a, was a servant to the Jews in order to confirm the promises God had made to them. In order to fulfill the promises God made to them. It's about Jesus, not the Jewish people walking in obedience to him. Take a look. God's word. Romans 8, 15, 8. The start of this section of scripture. We need to see this. Because Paul is summarizing things. He's painting a picture. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness. That God wasn't lying when he made all those promises. That God just wasn't, you know, blowing smoke. He was being honest. So Jesus came as a servant to the Jewish people to show that God is truthful. What he said, he meant, and he would do. To confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Romans 9, 4 through 5. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God all over all, blessed forever. That's the section of Scripture where it, it expounds upon this one statement in Romans chapter 15. What we see is that God chose Israel. There's Abraham, a pagan, is what it says. And God just chose him. He said, okay, you're the man. And out of you, a great nation will come, and I will bless them. So God chose Israel, and he made covenants only with them. He only made promises to Israel, only to the, only to the Jews. But he was not theirs alone. He was not theirs alone. You see, Gentiles like us, we weren't included in any of the promises in Genesis. None. It was for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people. We were not included in any of the covenant promises, yet God graciously purposed to bless Gentiles like us through Christ as our Messiah and his promises that he made to Israel. He's, he, God decided that because there were no promises to us. So God made a decision. And that's how he was going to do it. Take a look. Now we're going to look through verses 9 through 12. Look at what it says. So it's continuing on. Jesus became a servant to the circumcised to prove that God was faithful, that he was going to honor his promises. And, and in order that the Gentiles, you and I, might glorify God for his mercy. His mercy, yeah, he made no promises to us. It wasn't about him fulfilling the promises he made to us because he made no promises to us. So when God does this work of salvation, it's to show his mercy. Mercy is what we don't get what, that, what we deserve. It's the flip side of grace. We don't get what we deserve. So Jesus came as a servant to people like us, Gentiles, so that we don't get what we deserve. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. That was King David who said that. 
It was written, it, that quote is from 2 Samuel 22:50, which is part of what we call the history books, and Psalm 1, uh, 1849, which is part of the writings is what they call it. In verse 10, and again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Notice the shift. First of all, God will be glorified among the Gentiles. Now all of a sudden, it's the Gentiles will rejoice with God, with God's people, with the Israelites. Moses said that, and it's recorded in Deuteronomy 32, 43. And that's part of the law. Then in verse 11, and again, praise the God, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. That's from Psalm 117, again, the writings. This is where the Gentiles were called to independently praise the Lord. So we're seeing a progression. There's among the people, now all of a sudden, listen, uh, you will rejoice with God's people. Now you're going to rejoice, you're going to worship God on your own. And then in verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who abides or arises to rule the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles will hope. This is Isaiah. From Isaiah 11, verse 10, the book of the prophets. What Paul did was very clever here. What he did was he knew he was speaking to a bunch of Jewish people and quite a few Gentiles. And he basically said to the Jewish people, Listen. Your scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, are made up of three large groups. They are the law, the prophets, and the writings. So Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not because Paul is this brilliant man, but because God is the author of his word, quotes from every one of the three sections of the Hebrew Bible. Every one. And he says, look it, right here, here, and here. And then he takes their three of their greatest leaders, Moses, David, and Isaiah, And he says, this whole deal with the Gentiles, this was planned way back when. This was planned way back when. This isn't something new. This is God's plan from eternity past. Look at his word. So he's speaking to the Jewish people here. He wants to encourage, tell these uh, Jewish believers that the promises that God made to them included Gentiles. It included Gentiles all the way back. You guys were separating yourself out from the Gentiles, saying God made promises to you, to, to us, and not to you Gentiles. And now Paul is saying, guess what? It was always part of God's plan that the Gentiles would be a part of God's uh, family right from the beginning. So if you put that in the context of Romans chapter 15, what is happening here? He's basically saying this. He's encouraging the weaker Jewish believer, that they need to accept their Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ because they're a part of God's family. They were always intended to be a part of God's family. That's what he's saying here to them. you got to accept your brothers and sisters that are Gentiles because that was part of the plan. And he's, saying, he's trying to exhort the stronger Gentile to accept your Jewish brothers because there was a division happening here. That's why he's talking about unity in this section of Scripture. He's saying, you have to accept your Jewish brothers. You know why? Because the promises of your salvation came through the Jewish people. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, you Jewish people accept your Gentile brothers and sisters. God had it in his plan all along. And you, you uh, Gentile believers, listen, you have to understand The Messiah came through the Jewish people. That was God's call. So you need to honor and respect and love them as well. And there was a whole section in Romans about that. 
So that's what Paul is saying here. He's bringing it all together. He's basically saying, you know what? Neither one of you guys, Jewish person or Gentile believer, either one, Jewish believer or Gentile believer, neither one of you should look down on the other. There should be unity. Don't look down on each other. We talked about that last week. And we can get so much encouragement from this little section of Scripture. You know why? Because Gentile salvation was not God's alternative plan when Israel did not believe in him, did not follow him, obey him, when they were in unbelief and rebellion against God. God wasn't caught off guard, went, oh, no, man, I just, I, I called these as my people. And they just, they want to rebel. They don't want to believe. What am I going to do? You know what? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. That'll be a good plan B. Never, never like that. You can see that in Scripture. That's why it speaks to us. No. Nope. Gentile salvation was not an afterthought for God. God's plans and purposes in eternity past included Gentiles as part of God's people. So what should that say to me today where I live? Sitting in a little church in La Crescent, Minnesota. What does that mean to me today? So what? You're talking about history, Dan. I never was into history. What it says to us is this. You're not an afterthought. You're not an afterthought. You're not second prize because the first thing didn't turn out. You're a forethought. God knew from eternity past. He planned your names were written in the book of life. You're not an afterthought. You're not secondary. You're primary in God's eyes for his glory, for his purposes. And that, brothers and sisters, should cause us to rejoice. We're not because Israel screwed up, so what else option did God have? He said, no. Right from the very beginning, this was my plan, that I would love you, that I would make promises to Israel, but I would have mercy on you. And the Messiah that would come through Israel would be a blessing to you. He would bless all nations. That's what that meant. He would bless all nations. That's our God. And that's why when we look at these verses that seem to not relate to us, we have to read them through the lens of Scripture and understand, you know what? Paul was saying this to you. Abound in hope. Abound in hope. Because this Messiah, this Jewish Messiah, Jesus, is your Savior. And He came to serve you to prove the mercy of God. That God would be merciful towards those who were not Jewish people who would believe. And that's what God has done for us. Today, in this room, the mercy of God is displayed in every person in this room who knows Christ as Savior. And that's the point of what Jesus did. That's what he's saying, Paul's saying in Romans chapter 15, verse 8, that the Gentiles would see the mercy of God. Praise God. No promises made to us, but included in those because of Christ. 
and help us abound in joy. Take a look at God's word. I keep going back to that because it doesn't really matter what I say. Take a look, Ephesians 2, 12 through 13. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise. God made no promises to you, no promises to you at all, having no hope and without God in the world. That's where the Gentiles were. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have brought, been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's not talking that, he's not saying that all Jewish people are saved because they're not. We, that was earlier in Romans 2. It's about those who had received that gift of salvation by not putting their trust in their good works, outweighing their bad, but their, their hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. And he's saying, oh, I made promises to that group of people. I didn't make a promise to anybody else. But I'm calling you in. I'm going to anyway. And that's why he says you were far off. You weren't part of those promises. They weren't, they weren't things that promises God made to you. But now, because of Christ, you've been drawn near. They are, God will fulfill his promises that he made to Israel to you by faith alone. John 4, 22b through 23. Salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. In Romans 15, 8 through 9, again in 13, For I tell you that Christ became a servant of the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Praise God. And then in verse 13, may the God of all of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That's how he concludes the main message in Romans. Abounding in hope. From hopelessness to abounding in hope. Based on what Christ has done, not your works. Even when we miserably fail and sin, Because of God's grace, there's forgiveness. You see, hope is not some kind of Pollyanna positive that denies reality. Listen, your pain is real. Whether that be physical, emotional, whatever it is, your pain is real. And Christianity doesn't say, no, no, it's not. You just got to think positive. You just got to, no, uh-uh. That's not hope in the Bible. That's not the definition of hope in the Bible, denying reality. The reality is, yeah, your body maybe does hurt. I know mine does as I'm getting older. I wrecked my arm like a couple weeks ago. It still hurts. So I'm just going to all of a sudden say, no, that's that's not, by faith, that's not, I'm not in pain. No, I'm in pain. (laughs) Other people are in pain in this place, emotionally. You're struggling with things. That's not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope confidently rests on God's promises regardless of the circumstances. Biblical hope believes that, you know what, all those promises that God made, they're true. And when I pass on, I will spend eternity in heaven with God, not because I am a good person, but because of what Christ has done for me. And as long as I'm here, I I talk to people sometimes, and it it can get really hard. I'll, I'll mention one name, Helen Leesom. And Helen only had one kidney from when she was uh, very young. And um, she would say to me so many times, I miss uh, her husband Jay had passed on. And she goes, why am I still here? I said, because God ain't done with you yet. 
She said, well, what good am I? And I said, you pray, right, sister? She goes, well, yeah. That's it. That's enough. When God's done with you, he'll take you home. But until then, he still has a reason. And so when we look at this, we realize that, you know what? I rest in what God has promised, an eternity with him, a new body, without pain, no tears, no nothing, because that's what it says in the word of God. And that's true. And God promises that that is always there. It is saved up. Nobody can steal it from me. At this walk here, I'm visiting this planet. This is, this, my, this is a hotel. I'm going home. So all the stuff that happens here, it may not be pleasant, but God's made promises to me. And that's where my hope rests, not here. It rests in God that he will take care of it. Hope is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work by creating faith in God and his blood-bought promises. It's about faith in God, who God is, the greatness of our God. That's where we get our hope from. Who is God? Take a look, God's word again. Now he's saying we get this, this hope through faith in God's promises. All right. Well, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Talking about God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists, that God is. All that the Bible says he is, that's where we get our hope in who God is, not who I am or anybody else, but must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe that? I think that's where our hope can drop off. We, 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 we hope short-term because things will change, and when they don't, we go, oh, no. And we lose our hope, and everything starts going down and down. And we forget, but do you really believe that God will reward those who believe? We want our reward to be either a physical healing or a relational healing or whatever it might be. Is that it? Maybe sometimes, but not always. Do you still believe he rewards you? Because that's part of the promise here. He rewards those who seek him. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So our faith grows when we read about God and who he is in his word and it increases as we understand the greatness of Jesus. And when we lose hope, we lose our sight of that. That's why if you're struggling today and you're hopeless, you know there's people that walk into church all the time. We put a smile on our face and we're hopeless. We have no hope that anything will change. I'm not promising you it will. I am saying this. You talk to the God of hope and you ask him for hope in whatever situation it is and you ask God to get your eyes on on the long-term hope that you have in Christ. You watch what that does in your own heart. You watch whether things change or they don't. When we ask the God of hope for hope, he will give it and he will readjust, redirect our focus and whether things change or not, we can still have a joy and a peace because that's what God's word promises. And John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus. Who's the God of hope? Jesus. Our triune God. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope, that you may abound in hope. Without Jesus, the promises to the patriarchs would be unfulfilled. 
still waiting. And without Jesus, Gentiles like us would never be able to glorify God. That's what he's saying in this section of Scripture. That's why Jesus is the source. He is the giver. He is the object of all our hope as Christians. And without Christ, there is no future hope beyond the grave. Because the bottom line is you can gut up a little bit of hope on this planet. But if you don't have Jesus, there is no hope for you after you die. None. It's gone. There are no promises to you other than God's judgment because he is a just and fair God. But on this side of heaven, we have Jesus. And his promises carry through for eternity. So hope in the promises of God because it will produce the fruit of joy and peace. Isn't that part of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness. Peace relates to the assurance that God will do as he promised. There's a peace. You know, somebody that really has always made promises to you and they always fulfill those promises. So when they make another promise to you, what happens? You rest in it. Yeah, it's going to happen. They always honor their word. I'm not worried about it. There's a peace there. That's what he's talking about, that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. All those promises in the word of God are true. They will be there, regardless of how you perform. So I can just go sin? No, uh -uh. if you love someone, you're just not going to do things that are going to hurt them. But they're there for you, those promises, and we rest in that. We have a peace in that, and there's this joy that this hoping in God provides it's this inner delight in God who he is and his promises man my God is omnipotent he is all powerful my God is creator of all things he spoke everything that we see out of nothing he right now is holding it all together everything in this everything in this universe he's holding together and he is sovereign over all things and he is seated in the highest place, and man cannot, cannot thwart God's ways. How do I know all that stuff? Because it's in the Word of God. So then when you freak out about an election or something, what happens is you go back and you remember who God is. Is God sovereign or is he not? Is God in control? Does he have a plan? Yeah. Is it uncomfortable at times? You bet. I mean, I'm thinking Joseph really didn't think God was, God's plan was too good when he was in the bottom of the pit or when he was locked up in the prison. I'm thinking, hey, I don't see the good in this God if I'm Joseph. But God had a plan. And God still does. And so I can have hope in the midst of craziness because I know who God is. I know who he is. And I have a big God. And this inner delight, this joy is not just in who God is, but the promises that he has made the promises that he has made and the anticipation that he will fulfill them all because that's my God. He will fulfill them because of who he is, not because of what I do. Same thing as with the Jews. You see, the foundation of our joy is knowing that we are reconciled, that we are made right with the sovereign God, our salvation. That's where our joy comes from. Why will I fear? Why will, I, why, why will I walk in, in anger or anxiety? My God is 
seated in the highest place. I'm his child. He takes care of his children. He disciplines us. But that's who, my, that's who I am. And he made a promise. He made many promises. This is who my dad is. And these are the promises my dad made to me. And they will be fulfilled. And that brings joy. Even in the midst of crazy stuff. Whatever it is that you're going through. I don't know. I can't even imagine some of the struggles and pain that some of you guys are going through. But I know my God. And I know the promises he made. And I'll steer you to that every time. Because outside of that, there's no hope. Our hope is in Christ. To experience God's feeling of joy and peace, we will do that as we believe the promises of God with this far-sighted eternal hope, even when nothing changes. Like Brandon. Brandon's situation is not going to change, and he knows it. This is his end from the very beginning of his life, knit together in his mother's womb. This is what was intended. <clears throat> and seldom will you find anybody that is more joyful. You have no idea what he's going through. But you know what? His joy, his peace is in Christ. That's how he can do it. The Holy Spirit empowering him. You see, there was a divine, eternal purpose in God's heart from the beginning of time, before time, and that was that he would save both Jewish and Gentile believers, and he would bring them into unity, into a harmony that would bring, bring praise and glory to him. This radical, crazy group of mixed up, messed up people and he was going to use them. He was going to draw them to himself. And he was going to bring glory to himself as he brought this unity in a place where there should be no unity. He would make one salvation, one new covenant, one church, one people of God. All this was accomplished by Jesus serving us. Isn't it incredible, our Savior? And Jesus' mystery confirmed Ministry confirmed God's truthfulness to the Jewish people. And Jesus' ministry confirms God's mercy to us as Gentiles today. Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, and he is the only hope of Gentiles like us. That's why Jesus, again, is the source, is the giver is the object of all Christians' hope. Every one of us in this place. Regardless of what you're in, I would point you to this. Go to the God of hope and ask him to fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Spirit may abound to you in hope. Go to him. He understands. He's got a bigger plan. Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of you this morning, God, the God of all hope. God, we see this benediction in your word, kind of the conclusion of the big message, which is there can be hope for the hopeless because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done, not we do, not what we're doing. So, Lord, I pray for those who are without hope today. 
I pray for those who are without hope that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. They're depending on their good works outweighing their bad. Lord, if there's anyone in here today, I pray that you'd open up their eyes and show them Jesus and how Jesus has provided the way. God, I pray for those who are, are struggling with physical ailments or, or relational issues. Lord, you know where the hopelessness is. And I pray, God, that you, by the power of your Spirit, would turn their eyes upon you, Lord Jesus, and that they would find their hope in you, God, not in the circumstance changing. It might. Ask for it. Your word says you do not have because you do not ask. But, Lord, if it stays the same, help our eyes continue to be on you. And, God, glorify your name in this little tiny place through a small group of your people as we hope with joyful peace in all the promises that you've made to us that your name would be exalted in our lives and through our and in our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' beautiful, glorious, wonderful, powerful, everlasting name. And all God's people said. <laughs>